You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. So if there's anything I've learned from this crazy story, it's that it's one thing to catch a thief, but it's another to understand one. Because everything Vasilis Paliokostas does, it's drama. Okay, he's holding up banks with Kalishnikovs. He's leading police on Dukes of Hazard-style chases, escaping jails by helicopter, abducting millionaires. And somehow, he's winning praise while doing it. And that's actually the part I can't get over. The praise. By now, we've interviewed almost, what, like 50 people for this podcast. And the praise is something we keep hearing, no matter where we go or like who we talk to. From city folks in Athens, to police officers on the hunt, to even Alexander Haitogu, the man he kidnapped. Frankly, it got us all wondering, is Vasilis just that good? Is his charm that irresistible? I mean, why are there so many sympathizers? Or is there just something about Greece that makes people all over the country just want to cheer for outlaws? So when one of our favorite investigative reporters offered to help us out, we obviously couldn't pass it up. So we sent him on a rambling adventure. From the den of anarchists. Would this have been a place that Paleocrossus would come and hang out? Or not really from what we've learned today? To a holy mountain rumored to hide bad guys? If somebody was running from the law, would they come here, do you think, or not? In search of clues for our modern Robin Hood. Well, Mr. Panagiotis just said that he had a client many years ago, and apparently it was Paleocrossus. Oh, 
I'm Miles Gray. For iHeart Podcasts and Kaleidoscope, this is The Good Thief. Chapter 1 Sympathy for the Devil Greece is a country of contradictions. On one hand, it's super old. You know, after all, it is the cradle of democracy. And at the same time, it's super young. I mean, the modern state isn't even two centuries old. Also, Greece is technically part of Europe, but culturally, it's more similar to the Balkan states. So everywhere you turn, there's a lot of push and pull. And that has made Greece a very difficult place for a government to unify. What works in one region doesn't always work in another. So Greece has kind of become a petri dish of dissent. I mean, the country claims to be the birthplace of anarchism, and it's home to anarchist communes and autonomous neighborhoods. There are even entire islands that thumb their nose at the state. These are the kinds of places where people don't just cheer for Vasilis Paliokostas, they agree with him. One day we got chatting about all of this with our friend Nick Niarchos. He's an investigative reporter, a Greek, albeit one who grew up abroad. And it turns out he's been obsessed with the Vasilis Paliokostas story for years. He thought that to understand Paliokostas, we needed to understand Greece and not the picture postcard version with the white buildings and the beautiful ocean, but some of its most remote corners. And lucky for us, Nick has contacts all over the country, and he specializes in exploring the many corners of the globe. Like when we first made contact, he was reporting in Democratic Republic of the Congo. Then he was in a nickel mine in Indonesia. And then the next time we pick up the phone, he's in Yemen. So while George and Christina are hunting down leads in Tricola, we sent Nick and our producer, Costas, to Athens with the mission to explore some of the remotest parts of Greece in search of outlaws and outcasts in hopes that they'll find what makes Palio Costas so alluring. So for this episode, I'm throwing it over to Nick and Costas and letting them tell the rest of the story. So, um, so we've just come into Exarchia. I'm starting out in Athens, and right next to the bars and cafes where Greece's most powerful people gather in central Athens, there's a place where the shadow of Vasilis Paliokosas looms large, a community called Exarchia. So, Kosas and I decided to go there. You understand that you're coming into Exarchia when you see the police trucks on the side of the street. Yes, those are riot police vans. She have uh, stories of friends who visited Athens for the summer and took Airbnbs in Exarchia and ended up, you know, being tear gassed, which is always a good part of the holiday, I guess. Yep. Exarchia has been at the center of Greece's anti-establishment movement since the 70s. In fact, it's one of the oldest anarchist neighborhoods in all of Europe. We're here because we're hoping this place can give us some insight into the culture that turned Vasilis into a folk hero. We park and start our walk through the neighborhood, hoping this place can give us insight into the culture that turned Vasilis into a folk hero. One of the first things we notice is that there's graffiti everywhere. There are signs for collectives and communist bookstores, anarchist slogans, and posters plastered down alleyways. 
All cops are bastards. Tourists, go home. I still fucking hate the police. Nationalist ideas give birth to graveyards. The area's politics are, to say the least, in your face. We're trying to find this cafe that we learnt about from one of our sources, so... So, Celes Café is the anarchist stronghold within the anarchist stronghold. When you Google it on Yelp, the reviews are all one star because apparently it's monitored by the security services and it's full of cops. The people running this place are friendly, but they do not want us recording. They're afraid our microphones might pick up conversations the regulars are having. So we turn off our mics, we order beers, and we chat. And people tell us about the neighborhood, how it's changed. And it's true. Just 10 or 15 years ago, visitors would be warned to avoid Exarchia. But what everyone really wants to talk about is how the state wants to gentrify Exarchia out of existence. In 2019, after the new center-right government came in, things started to change. And people started feeling that, in fact, this gentrification was a political tool to get rid of the anti-government activity. But as we sat there, it was hard for me to see the cafe as a threat. It's just a place to have a beer and sip some strong espresso. And yet, the ideas that get shared in a space like this have made it a place authorities fear. So I just went to the bathroom, and there was a very telling slogan scribbled on the wall. It read, if you want robbers, make banks. And if you want criminals, make laws. Frankly, it sounds exactly like something Vasilis would say. Actually, it is something, he says. In his book, he says, democracy needs enemies to sustain itself, and it invents them by inventing crime. Do you want to go and, like, ask those people? Yeah. If you want to be, the parking closes at 8. Okay, Mm. let's go. Uh, We just have time to go and come back. Should we go ask the kids? Let's go ask the kids. Eventually, we leave the cafe and head towards Exarchia's main square. A lot of riot police. And, and what is it? It's a Tuesday night. There's, uh, no, there's, no, there's nothing happening. Yeah. There's no noise. There's no, no one on the street. But there's more cops than there are citizens. There's been visible tension here for a while now, and it goes beyond anger over development. Back in December 2008, a police officer killed a 15-year-old kid named Alexandros Grigoropoulos who was hanging out with his friends in the neighborhood. Within hours, demonstrators filled the streets of Exarchia and violence escalated quickly. Crowds threw rocks, lit fireworks, hurled Molotov cocktails at police cars. As news spread to other Greek cities, protests and riots followed. Mass demonstrations led to mass arrests. Arsonists lit up banks. Police fired tear gas. Anarchists detonated firebombs. And SWAT teams were called in. What began as a reaction to a teenager's murder grew into an expression of more widespread anger at police brutality, at Greece's political elite, at the financial tsunami slowly consuming the country. Frankly, the kinds of things that would make Vasilis Paliokostas say, I told you so. Our sound guy, Alexis, who has more than a bit of sympathy for anarchists, remembers when police had flooded Exarchia. Up until three years ago, you didn't really have police here. A lot of undercover police, but not really police in uniform. And now it feels sort of more like under occupation. Yes, certainly. 
It is under occupation, doesn't feel it. It is under occupation. Clearly things are different now, but before there were cops on every corner and before he became the most wanted man in the country, I have to wonder if Vasilis Paliokostas would have felt at home here. Would this have been a place that Paliokostas would come and hang out? I'd be surprised if he'd never been here before. I'd be very, very surprised if he wasn't intimately familiar with these streets or with the people who live here. I mean, this is the hotbed of the ideology and the culture that celebrates Palio Costas. Not everyone in Greece celebrates Palio Costas. There's definitely some animosity towards him from both politicians and cops. But what's really interesting is that there's this shared understanding of why Greek people are so sympathetic towards this culture of rebellion. Before we started on our tour of the country's nooks and crannies, looking for Greek dissidents, before we even came to Exarchia, we reached out to some of the most powerful people we could think of. And surprisingly, a former foreign deputy minister, Marcos Bolleris, and the former prime minister of Greece, George Papandreou, both sat down to talk with us. Would you like something again? When Papandreou approached us, I was surprised at how tall he was. He's got an impressive mustache, and uh, his vibe is professorial. Yeah, let's start with this big question. Why, why the good thief, or why does this exist? There has been a culture in Greece of, uh, uh, you know, people who have stood up to authority, people who are lone, you know, fighters or resistance fighters. So this is part of the, part of the Greek uh, history and, uh, and tradition and culture. Uh, to, um, to somehow resisting the, a higher power, resisting uh, authoritarianism, resisting a dictatorship, uh, occupation. This was a point we actually heard from multiple people, that Greeks, because of their history with occupation, with the Ottomans and the Hunda, are, by default, defiant. Of course, Greece has a history, a very recent history at that, of government officials abusing power for personal gain. In 2015, the government's top anti-corruption watchdog reported that almost every contract between the government and private corporations involved kickbacks. The company Siemens in particular had budgeted 10 to 15 million dollars every year just to bribe Greek officials. To say the least, this has compelled people to take a skeptical view of the government and large corporations. These complex financial systems, banks and so on, have made people feel, you know, not so much controlled. One of the reactions is to look for an authoritarian figure, or maybe a savior. Uh, a savior could be a Robin Hood. You put your hope in this Robin Hood. It's human nature in times of crisis to look for help, and a Robin Hood figure feeds that need. But Voleris told us it's never pure charity. Robin Hood always wants something in return. So, so even under Ottoman occupation, when the thieves would come down to rob from the Turks, they didn't keep it from themselves, they would give it to the other villagers. It's an ancient logic, it's not a new one. By redistributing, you, you create friends, you create allies, and you find hideouts immediately. So it's also a practical thing. Bolaris's words were spinning through my mind as we toured Exarchia. I just kept thinking, who has Paleocostas given money to? Was it a strategic way to find new friends and new hideouts? And as I looked at the people walking by, 
I wondered, who here is keeping his secrets? We keep walking and past the intersection where Grigoropoulos was murdered. There's a memorial there now, and directly across from it, a swanky real estate development is under construction. And then we see a music store. It's a plain and simple looking place. No warning, no sign outside, but just a large glass window that has been caked over with years of grime. This shop makes and sells bouzouki. That's a type of Greek lute that you've definitely heard before in the theme song for this show, for instance. And there are bouzoukis everywhere, on the walls, hanging from the ceiling. The air is steeped in this beautiful smell of fresh wood. And we begin chatting with a little shop owner, an old-timer who has been here for decades. Do you think Paleokostas ever came to this neighborhood? He said, well, he was an alley cat that goes everywhere, so he must have been here as well. But also, there was a knowing pause. When I asked, do you think Mr. Paleokostas came by Exarchia? He said, do I think? As though you were suggesting that you know. And then, just as we're about to leave, the guy starts telling us a story about a delivery he made to an unusual customer. Well, Mr. Panagiotis just said that he had a client many years ago who was renting a house to someone for whom money was no object and who would always pay rent on time. So he delivered the, the bouzouki to this house? To this house in the outskirts of Athens. And apparently it was Paleokostas. To be clear, we have no way of fact-checking this. But what is true is that, apparently, you can walk into a random bouzouki shop in Exarchia and meet someone with a first-hand story about Vasilis Paleokostas. As we return to the streets, I can't help but see traces of Vasilis everywhere. Traces of his beliefs. His antagonism toward police. It's literally written on the walls. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! 
Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it, that's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV, on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So we're just coming down through the cloud cover um, towards the island of Ikaria. Wow, look at it. It's incredible. Wow. Chapter 2 Island of Exiles we're in a small twin-prop plain just 30 miles off the coast of Turkey. Below us, the Aegean Sea is rough and choppy. Our plane banks right, and out of the window, we can see our destination, Ikaria. And then over here on the left, is the, there's a hole in a rock, and that's supposedly where Icarus fell to work. Ikaria is named for Icarus, who, you might recall from the folktale, died after flying too close to the sun. It's a bit ironic, too. In the story of Icarus, he flew here because he was trying to escape political persecution, which, as you'll see, is a theme in these parts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Icaria. Please keep your seatbelt fastened until the seatbelt sign is switched off before leaving your seat. Do take care when opening Like Exarchia, Icaria is an enclave for anarchists, communists, and other political dissidents. But the similarities end there. Icaria has olive trees and hot springs. It's self-sufficient, it's distant, and it resists authority by staying far away from it. That's because for a long time the islanders were outlaws themselves. After the Ottomans claimed Icaria as part of their empire in 1521, the islanders faked the destruction of their towns and retreated to the mountains, building houses with no chimneys to avoid the telltale signs of smoke. For over 150 years, the islanders adopted a tactic of invisibility, and almost everyone thought the island was empty. It's retained that independent streak ever since. This is our, uh, our dip. Uh, now, well, there's four of us, four suitcases, audio equipment, trying to squeeze into a Nissan Micra, uh, which is a very, very small car. Almost immediately, we get a tip from some locals that there might be a name day celebration, a party at a restaurant nearby. So we drove down this desolate road and actually missed it a couple of times. But we finally spot the taverna, stop outside, and decide to head in to speak to some people. In the taverna, we meet an American expat who's more than happy to tell us about the charms of island life. But here is like... Uh the clocks don't work. There is no time for anything. And it goes on and on and on and on. Back in the day, all these old people that they lived to be 100 and plus, you know, they slept all pretty much whenever they felt like it. 
and they have no stress. They have no bills. A few years ago, the New York Times magazine called Ikaria the island where people forget to die. And it's true. The island is a so-called blue zone, one of five places in the world where people just seem to live forever. Studies suggest that the reasons for this longevity are simple. People eat from their own gardens. They socialize a lot. They rest when they need it. They don't work too hard. They live simply. Most of these people here, they are, I would say, socialists. I would say 90% of us, of, of them, are socialists. It's how it's been for many, many years, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. You know, if I know somebody has a lot of money and he's not a good person. Ikaria is one of the most left-wing parts of Greece. In the 1940s, during the Greek Civil War, the government arrested leftists and deported them to the islands. It was a policy they called administrative banishment. About 13,000 people connected to the Communist Party were exiled to Ikaria. And when these communists arrived, they stumbled upon an old world society that was essentially already living their values. But there is a dark side here. Its isolation and anti-state politics didn't just appeal to exiles and misfits. It also gained a reputation as a place for bad guys to hide. After the taverna, we hit the road again, and I'm thinking about something a source told us about Vasilis Paliokostas, that the only way he has stayed hidden for so long is if a whole community is willing to keep his existence a secret. That smells like clutch to me. Um, we're also definitely lost. No, we're not. Uh, it's are we not? Just up there. Believe. Hold on. Wait. 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 We are. We are lost. The wrong way. You need to go back. That's your right. We eventually find our bearings and stop at a few places. We learn that each Ikarian town has its own cooperative community, and that there are self-organizing neighborhoods everywhere. Some places pay using an honor or a barter system. So everyone who, who we've asked um, do you think Vasilis is, is here? Do you think he could be here? Um, or do you think he was here? Uh, has been pretty doubtful. But at the same time, and I mentioned this earlier today, no one has laughed us out. No one has said, you're silly. Um, but there's almost a, a sort of sense of pride, they think, well, he, he could come here in a way. The next day, when we sat down with the journalist Yorgos Vizaras, we asked him if there was any chance that Ikaria could still be a place for someone who might want to self-exile. My grand-grand-grandfather, he came from Visadio because it was against the, the system and he, he came here to hide himself. Okay, it's, it was very difficult to find him. Today, it's not. They can find you very easily. Very easily. You can hide here. People we spoke to agree that this isn't a good place to hide these days. And perhaps it's because, like Ixaria, Ikaria is changing. 
if Vasilis is in Greece, it's not just a place that embraces his ideology or a place with a strong sense of community, but a place that has also resisted change. So our next stop is one of those places, a place where time has stopped and where outlaws are rumored to walk free. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events. Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like actress and director Cheryl Hines. They were looking for an unknown actress (laughs) to play Larry David's wife. I said, well, how old is that guy? Isn't he old? (laughs) And author David Sedaris. You know, like when you meet somebody and they'll say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be an artist. And I say, well, is it all you care about? Because if it's not, it's going to be pretty hard for you. If you're not on fire, it's like opening the door of an oven and it's like, wow, you know, you take a step back. It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they care about. They don't have relationships. They're not good friends for other people. This is just what they're, all they're their energy focused goes, on. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 3 The Holy Mountain So we're just arriving here at the small port of Vafni, which is the main port of Mount Athos. And we're mixed in with monks, men, even a small child, but only men here, um, as this peninsula is only open to the male sex. It's damp and windy, but we're excited because our last stop is one of the holiest and most secluded places in the world. We're here to visit Mount Athos, a peninsula in northeastern Greece. According to legend, the Virgin Mary came here and was so charmed by the region's beauty, by its towering cliffs and lush forests, that God granted it as her dominion. Orthodox monks established a monastery and decided that no other woman would ever step foot here again. Athos has been a men's-only retreat ever since. About 2,000 monks live here in 20 small monasteries. They spend six hours each day in church, spending their free time beekeeping, gardening, and praying. Unlike Exarchia and Nicaria, this is not an anarchist stronghold. The Eastern Orthodox Church is an establishment to be reckoned with in Greece. But this patch of land is politically unique. For more than a thousand years, it has been functionally independent. Allegedly, that independence has called criminals here some to repent, others to hide. We heard that a group of robbers came here once and tried to steal from two elderly hermits who lived on the mountain. But after they broke into the house, the crooks were immediately paralyzed by the Holy Spirit. So they repented, and as soon as they regained control of their bodies, they decided to stay and become hermits themselves. More recently, one of Vasilis Paleokostas' prison buddies, a cop killer known as the Beast of the Balkans, claimed that when he gets out of jail, he'll join the monks on Athos too. But not everybody sees the light. In 2014, a Greek civil servant convicted of embezzling 9 million euros from taxpayers fled to Athos and disguised himself as a monk. Since then, the tabloid press has turned these kinds of stories into their own genre, painting Athos as a place where criminals and shady oligarchs come to hide. It takes time to get permission to visit Athos. You need a special entry permit and a blessing from the monks themselves. Luckily, we had contacts at two monasteries and the monks made sure our paperwork was organized. So we've just come round the corner. We board a bus that takes us up a winding road up to the monastery. It's a tower hanging over the sea with a huge mountain of Mount Athos draped in snow looming behind it. The bus stops and we get out at the monastery of Simonopetra. It's a hulking building carved into the side of a cliff. It reminds me of something out of Grimm's fairy tales. The monks here wear black cassocks and long wispy beards. Many have simple crucifixes dangling from their necks. We get a tour and from a point high above the sea, they ring the church bells for us. So the first night, um, we tried to speak to some people, but uh, none of the monks wanted to talk to us. It was cold. We got up early for church. I mean, Athos is 
for all intents and purposes, a big church. It's a complex of monasteries that attracts pilgrims. So if you're going to Athos, you're going to church. I think we arrived at midday and started our day off with church. Then we took a bit of a break, went on a beautiful walk into the vineyards and the farms and the fields below the monastery, and then ran back up as soon as the bells started ringing to go right back to church. And after church, we went to a dinner where more psalms were kind of read as we ate and felt like church. And from there, we we were hurried to, to our room, which was actually really beautiful. But we were instructed to sleep quickly in order to be able to wake up at 3 a.m. for, you guessed it, more church. It was our last day, and we were incredibly disappointed. We'd spent two days asking people whether they wanted to speak to us, and nobody would speak to us. Then the most amazing thing happened. I found out that a hermit that I'd met a couple of years ago had ridden a mule down the side of the mountain, and he was willing to help me out. They asked us not to include their names or the exact monastery they're affiliated with. If somebody was running from the law, would they come here, do you think, or not? There's many stories, there's many instances, and there's a tradition of thieves uh, repenting uh, in in the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, However, there's as many examples of thieves coming to Mount Athos, hiding, uh, but then being introduced to, to, to the way of Jesus, uh, repenting, and ultimately becoming monks. Because everyone here has come with sin, everyone here uh, has, has come uh, with something that they, they need or they, they can repent. This place is welcoming to anyone if they are willing uh, to kind of change their lives. This monk sees things from more cosmic perspective. He doesn't differentiate between Paleokosos or myself. The legal definition of criminal has very little meaning here because everybody's a sinner. Everyone has something to repent. But it is Athos's unique political status that makes it so attractive for people avoiding the law. If you feel comfortable to, to explain what Athos is, at least, in English, I think that would be very helpful so that we don't lose any information or tone uh, in the translation, because you speak English very well. Yeah. Mount Athos is a territory into the land of Greece, independent, independent of uh, the law of Greece. Uh, we have constitution, we have uh, government, but here we have something more important. We have uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Athos was declared autonomous thousands of years ago during Byzantine times. As far as monks are concerned, Byzantium is still alive. They casually name-drop ancient emperors like everybody knows who they are. Athos certainly resists change from the outside, but... Is it a place for somebody like Vasilis Paleokostas? I just wanted to ask you whether people come to hide on Mount Athos. Is it, is it a place to hide? If somebody was running from the law, would they come here, do you think, or not? I think that this place here that can only give, uh, give um, the chance to these people to confess their sins and uh, to find uh, the right way to go to God, if they are criminal or not. So if somebody were to come here as a criminal, they'd be encouraged to confess their sins? Yes, of course. All of us, we are criminals. <laughs> of course. But in the spiritual sense, of course. Who knows?
Chapter 4 School in the Shadows We spent a lot of time planning our trip and setting up interviews, but it turned out the thing that stuck with me the most happened by accident. On our way to Athos, we had an overnight layover in the northern city of Thessaloniki. It's a beautiful town of white buildings and universities, small enough to feel personal and large enough to have everything a modern urbanite might want. Costas and I were walking around when we found a beautiful 19th century building with an anarchist flag flying above it. There was a guy brewing beer in the garden and he seemed happy to chat. So, um, what's your name? My name is Zaraka. Zaraka? Means the, the vagabond. It's a spiritual name because I'm working on a path of meditation and yoga. Saraka is 47 years old, at least his body is. He said in his heart he's 12, and in his spirit maybe 350. He invites us inside for a tour and explains that the building is an abandoned school. When the state gave up on it, a group of anarchists turned it into a community education center. All the services here are free. We're having Greek lessons for the refugees. We walk upstairs and we find a young woman giving Greek language classes to a refugee from North Africa. And refugees in Greece today are people who really have to live outside of the law. They're people who have to hide and who have to come to places like this because the systems to integrate them into European society are almost entirely broken. So this school is basically here because of the failure of the state to provide... Yeah, the failure of the state. Because the state uh, doesn't want the people. It doesn't want the humans. It uh, needs humanoids. Humanoids, humanoid created by the priests, the politicians. So, after all this uh, repression, some people escape. So these people came together and connect uh, their knowledge, their love. And slowly, slowly, we created this kind of place. Saraka used that term, humanoids, a lot. He told us that society has brainwashed the masses into giving up their freedoms, and this place is for the select few who resist. In a way, that's really what we've been exploring, this thing we've seen all over Greece, the desire to escape the idea of a state, not just political exiles, but people who choose to live out of bounds in a way that's self-sustaining in solidarity with others. And of course, Vasilis Palaiokostas, who's both a thief and a symbol of this phenomenon. So I asked Saraka, why do you think this is so prevalent in Greek society? Our heart is still burning. They didn't make it like a stone, like in every other country. I found that answer just utterly beautiful. The idea that in this country, there's something special. Greece's heart is still burning. We sent Nick and Kostas to these far-flung places because we wanted to understand why Greece is such an incubator for people like Vasilis Paleokostas. And after hearing about Nick and Kostas' adventures, I keep coming back to this idea of the social bandit. The idea that a criminal can both break the laws of the state, but still live by a higher law. I think that's the appeal of Vasilis. He's not just an outlaw, he's an outlaw with a point. A point that resonates. Because he knows 
You can't break a corrupt system by playing by its rules. And that's why, wherever Vasilis is hiding, he's doing it with the help of friends. Friends in places where people are cheering for him, protecting him, praying for him. If we're going to track him down, we need to find more of those people. Next time on The Good Thief, George and Christina are back and they stumble into a lead they never expected. The Good Thief is a Kaleidoscope production in partnership with iHeart Podcasts. I'm Miles Gray. Our executive producers are Mangesh Hatikadur, Costas Linos, Oz Wallachin, and Kate Osborne. From iHeart, executive producers are Katrina Norvell and Nikki Itor. This episode was produced, reported, and hosted by Nick Niarcos. Our sound engineers in Greece were Alexis Kukias Pantelis and Dimitris Repas. Our partners at the Greek Podcast Project are executive producer Daphne Carnesis, field producers Christina Pilioni and George Miadis, and sound designer Nikos Glavanitis. Mary Philip Sandy is our supervising producer. Shane McKeon is our producer. The show is written and researched by Lucas Reimler. Fact-checking by Danya Suleiman. Initial edit, mix, and sound design for this episode was by Kieran Matthew Banerjee at Palm Tree Island. Sound design and final mix by Pran Bandy. Our theme song is by Imam Baldi, with additional music by Botany. Finally, thanks to Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, Bob Pittman, and John Marinopoulos. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yeah. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.